Welcome to the Same Side Selling Podcast. I am your host, Ian Altman. I've been hearing a lot of questions from people about customer experience and what could and should we be doing to improve that customer experience, how have expectations changed, and I was going to talk about it. And I realized, you know what? I'm not really the greatest expert on the planet when it comes to when it comes to that level of customer experience. But fortunately, I know somebody who is. And his name is David Averin. And he is one of the most respected people on the planet when it comes to customer experience, building the right types of habits and behaviors that engender that type of experience. And he's written a ton of books, too many for me to mention. So let me welcome him to the show. David, thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. It's not too many to mention. You're welcome to mention all of them. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. No, please. No, please. Just, please. I'm, no, no. I'm just joking. People can I'm kick just their feet up. <laughs> no, people can do it. They can, they can look me up. But no, thanks for having me on. I, I, I love your work. I think we are kindred spirits in this. And, um, and we share the platform and a variety of platforms to help educate people to be to be better than their competitors. So I appreciate being on the show today. You know, what? I, I, I love having you here. Let's start with this. What's the biggest change that you've seen in terms of customer expectations? Because people often talk about customer experience, but they often look at it through their own lens rather than the customer's lens. So right. what are those customer expectations that you're seeing have changed in the last few years? Sure. Well, I think the biggest change is the whole growth of customer experience as a distinct discipline. Uh, I think people, when they hear customer experience in most cases, though it is changing, are still conflating it with customer service. And they are separate disciplines. They're certainly intertwined as, as almost everything is part of the sales cycle and the merchandising and what we choose to buy and sell. Um, but the experience is really different. You know, on, on the customer service side, my God, Ian, we've been talking about this for 50 years. If people don't know how to treat people and be nice to people, there's not a whole lot that a speaker or an author or consultant is going to do to change that. There has to be that culture internally of service, right? You know, we've all for 20 years, you know, if, if you see a crumbled piece of paper on the ground, whose job is it to pick it up? Oh, it's everyone's. We know that. The experience is different and it's really remarkable. It's really, well, the customer service is what you deliver as a business owner, as an entrepreneur, as a staff. The experience is what we as customers or clients or patients, whatever you call your audience, what we experience as part of this. And while there's so many who talk about the importance of creating a wow experience, I don't think most business models lend themselves to a wow experience. If you're creating a, a, an electronic part that goes into an electronic device that goes into a car, it's not a wow experience. But the experience is how easy are you to work with? How frustrating is the process? How complicated? How in this time of, of technology, how much of this has been transferred onto your customers for them to do it? Um, I, I, I was talking on stage the other day that why is it that when we go to a doctor's office so that their receptionist doesn't have to type in this information, you give us the iPad or whatever, the, the technology that we have to navigate. That's, that's right. Give it to the guy who's bleeding profusely from the head <laughs> to do the work. What's changed to answer your question is, is how we do business with companies. I mean, think about how much has changed in the last couple of years with COVID, this whole new rash of conveniences, right? Yeah. The things that, I mean, I have my groceries delivered for crying out loud and it's freaking awesome. 
And in almost every case, these conveniences, in most cases, are better for the customer, all the disruptions, right? But if you have a business model, a delivery mechanism, here's how we sell and deliver to our customers or our clients. And that was designed 10, 20, 30 years ago. We've changed. The customers have changed. Our expectations for access and immediacy and flexibility and convenience has changed, right? Absolutely. And, go ahead. And, and David, I also, I also think that there's a level of transparency that consumers, and, and I don't mean consumers as in just the end customer and a business to consumer route, but in the B2B world also, the level of transparency, you order something on Amazon, I know that they're two cul-de-sacs over and they have three more stops to go. And then if all of a sudden now you have an experience with a vendor and they say, well, it should be there in the next three weeks, as a customer, you're thinking that just doesn't cut it. Yeah, we're not putting, I would use a different word. Um, we've said transparency for a long time. I think now it's visibility. Yeah, I think we have visibility right. into the process, right? It used to be just package delivery. They were sort of the pioneers of all this, right? Where is our package? Now it's everything. My God, I track my children who are no longer children. So when they say, yeah, I'm just leaving the house, dad, I'll be over there for dinner. I look at them, I'm like, you're, you're, you're a lying little piece of crap. I know exactly <laughs> where you are. You're still picking up the stuff at Safeway. But, but it's changed us. And I think that's the most important part about all of this is that the world has changed. But what's interesting is, is that we've changed our, our expectations. We used to think, and too many business owners still believe this, that our competitive advantage is our quality and our commitment and our caring and our trust and our people. Here's what the research shows. Today, customers prioritize speed, speed of access, speed of answers, speed of, of, of contact, speed of ordering, speed of delivery, speed, flexibility, convenience. Convenience has, has surpassed quality as the primary driver. Now, to be clear, it's not that quality is unimportant. Today, quality is assumed. Because if you weren't good, you would be outed, Yeah. right? It, it, it's the social proof. It's TripAdvisor and Rotten Tomatoes and Glassdoor and, and Yelp and all of those as well. So if we assume quality, what's the real differentiator? Um, I, 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 I keynoted a conference a couple of weeks ago, and, and so many of these, these conferences are back, which is great. And it was a, a big corporation. And, and right before me was the CEO and he did the sort of the state of the company and here's how we came out of COVID. And the last thing he said, he says, and remember everyone, we're going to have a great year, but remember at the end of the day, it's about quality. And they all cheered him. And I, I buried my face in my hands because I could not disagree more. At the end of the day, it's about quality. Are you kidding? At the beginning of the day, it's about quality. Quality is the entry fee. But at the end of the day, it's about competitive advantage. Yeah. Not what do you do well, what do you do better than others? And the things that customers are prioritizing today, get back to the question of what's changed, is that we assume quality, you better be good, right? But who can get it to me faster or who can I access easier? What's the most, what's the most visited website on the planet, right? It's Google. Yeah. How complicated is that homepage? Yeah, exactly. Right? So well, what we're seeing with, with organizations is they're creating competitive advantage by simplifying process, by shortening and, and simplifying some of the complexities, getting people what they want faster with a thumbprint, with a facial recognition. Um, and, and then there's others who aren't. 
and you know, it's it's helping people get results sooner. One of the things that 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 I often share, and I'm interested to get your take on this, and you can feel sure. free to agree or disagree, is that one of the key differentiators in today's world happens to actually be the sales process. And the reason I say that is because I spend a lot of time with my clients on what are the decisions and what are the questions that people have to make in order to make those decisions? And how do you help your client get that information as efficiently as possible? And if you do that, they're more inclined to work with you than somebody else. Of course. And if, and if the people doing the selling can demonstrate that your outcome or result is more important to them than just making the sale, they're going to feel more comfortable working with you because they're not looking to buy something. They're looking for an outcome or result. And if you can demonstrate your care and attention to that, you're better off. But where do you agree? Where do you disagree? You can no, I, I completely agree. What you've done is you've described what we talk about as customer centricity. Uh, we have historically been, let me back up. We've historically been in business, what we call product centric, which means we're really good at what we do. We know everything about it, whether it's a service or a product, and we sell it to as many people as possible, right? And that creates market share. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's how business is done. We're really good at this. And we help educate or convince all these other people about here's what we do. Here's why it's good. And we try and sell it. But what happens when everybody's good or at least good enough, right? And sometimes good enough at a lower price point is a better choice for some people. What we're seeing is a shift from product centric to customer centric. Now, don't confuse that with customer focused, right? Everybody's customer focused. You know, for us, at the end of the day, it's about the customer. Well, of course, you're in business. What does that mean? Customer centricity is different. It says we're good at what we do. We don't take our eye off the ball, but we're better than our competitors at understanding the outcomes that our customers are looking for, what problems they're looking to solve, what happened to them, not just who's likely to buy, but what changed in their world. Maybe yep. during COVID, right? Who do they answer to? What are their worries and their fears? What are the things that they would love that you currently don't offer? And so when we really dig deep, and that's part of what I do when I speak and I work with organizations, I have exercises to ask deeper questions to understand their customers, not just demographically and psychographically, who's likely to buy, but what have they gone through in the last week, in the last day? What's changed yep. in their industry? What are their, their fears? Uh, what are their frustrations with our industry? And so, like you said, when we really understand the outcomes that they're buying, right? Where do they want to be at the end of this? It's the whole thing about when you go to a hardware store to buy a drill, the need isn't a drill. The need is a hole. You need a sure. hole, right? And the best tool is that. So I, I totally agree with what you say, but that's the shift is we're going from product-centric, smart companies, from product-centric to customer centric, and they're winning on being better aligned with what has changed in the lives and expectations and wants and needs of their customers. Sure, and in, and in fact, one of the things that that I that I think about with this is I've referred to it as when companies are product centric or centric to the to themselves, I refer to it as the new version of ADD but it's called axis displacement disorder. It's where the individual believes the axis of the earth has shifted and the world now revolves around them. Instead, right. we need that notion of being customer centric is key. So you mentioned this idea of, of great questions that people could be asking. What are the questions that people forget to ask? What are the questions they should be asking, but they're not asking to tap into that information? If you wanna to get top results for your team, Take a look at the Same Side Selling Academy. Just visit samesideselling.com to learn more.
It's a great, that's a great question. Here's what we have tra traditionally done. And let me back up in, in that. I don't question anybody's nefarious intent and the world result revolves around them. I it certainly comes across, we're all just trying to feed our families, right? We're trying to do the best we can. That's why I love your concept of same, same side selling that we're, we're, we're putting ourselves alongside and understanding that. But the questions we used to ask are about what need you have that this product can fill, right? And, and there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, that creates an, an alignment, but when you can also buy that online, and you can, you know, or do without it or do it yourself or whatever else. The better questions are around um, where do you want to be and what was it? Like there's a great question in, in consulting or counseling, right? I, I've done a lot of executive coaching and others. And there's a great line. I didn't make this up that says when you sit down with that person and say, there's a reason why you said yes to this meeting. Let's start there. Yeah. Right. And that's a wonderful conversation starter. But there's but there's a there's a challenge, there's a pushback to even this whole idea of asking better questions. People are resistant to being sold to. The blinders go up. The minute we think somebody's reading the script, somebody's doing, you know, this this false sense of creating rapport. And it's it puts salespeople in a really challenging position because we want to ask all these questions. And somebody says, I just want to know where where the the honey butter is, right? You know, please don't don't dig deep. But then we complain when there's nobody to talk to. And then when they're there to talk to, it's a hard time to be in sales. But part of it is because there's been a significant shift. And the shift over the last 20 years has been from, from selling to buying, right? We used to rely on salespeople to educate us about products and services and features and benefits. We'd go into a, an appliance store in the 1960s or 70s, and somebody would literally explain the features of an oven or... Uh, for those of us old enough to remember when stereos were the size of a piece of furniture, right? And sure. if we wanted to compare, we'd drive to another one. We'd go to a car dealership and we'd say, tell us about the car. And they tell, none of that is involved anymore because we can research all that ourselves, right? We go to a car dealership, we sit in the parking lot and we research everything. We know what the dealer paid for the car before we walk in the door. So it's not that sales is unimportant. It's just changed tremendously. Features and benefits we can figure out sure competitive com competitive um, products and services from others we can figure it out it's so much incumbent upon salespeople today to highlight differentiation you know today right, who was it jonathan i from um from apple said it's really easy to be different it's really hard to be better yeah yeah well and so one of the one of the things that i, I think about with this is there's a couple there's a couple things in when we when we first started speaking, you said, "Oh, you know, we're in great alignment." And a lot of people say that to me. And the more you're speaking, I'm like, it's just it's funny because my audience is probably chuckling, like, "Wow, I think we've heard Ian say almost that exact same thing verbatim." Well, so because, I, because we're right, that's why, right? <laughs> because we're that's, right, that's, my that's friend. Exactly, that's exactly it. That's everyone should just if you're driving right now, you should pull over and just know that's that David saying. and I are right. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. That's what but, I'm saying. Well, but but the the thing that the thing that uh, that I haven't explained to people is you can either show up in a sales role as someone who is there to sell or someone who is there to solve. And if you show up as someone who's there to solve, you're also accepting the fact that the client may not have a problem that you're good at solving. And as, as soon as you can display honestly, the fact that if it's not a fit, 
you're going to point them in the direction of somebody else. Right. Right. Then the guards come down. Then they say, oh, well, now I can be transparent. I can tell them everything because I've been conditioned to not trust salespeople. But if somebody is looking out for my best interest, if someone is actually trying to ensure that I get the right outcome, then I want to talk to that person because they sound like a subject matter expert. And I, right. and it, if I'm, if I'm, if I'm hearing you right, it's that notion of you can't come across like someone is just pushing an agenda. In fact, I tell people, look, meeting one, all that should be going through your mind is, have they convinced me that they have a problem worth solving that we're good at solving? And if the answer is no, I got nothing to pitch. Right. But, there, but there's a different, I think if you come from the posture of being of service, and you really believe that. Um, I, I, one of the things I, I do this exercise with with audiences, organizations about creating sort of this avatar for their perfect customer. Like, who is your perfect customer or client, right? For me, as a keynote speaker, it's a meeting planner for a Fortune 100 company who's having an annual conference. That person needs to love me, right? But if you are truly of service, right, and and you and you have that love for the person on the other side, you recognize that they're far deeper than the person and the role that they play. You don't have to know their story. You just have to know they have one, right? And people are all going through something that we don't know. They got kids or grandkids. They're, they're taking care of, of a special needs child. They're, they're volunteering and coaching their kids' basketball team. You don't have to know any of those things. If you do, it helps. But if you know that behind, there's just a good person who's working hard just like you, and you really want to help them, and it's not feigning this because you want to ask the right questions, then you truly are curious. Then you can be of service. And even if you aren't the right person, right? The best salespeople in, in the world know that sometimes the person they're working with isn't going to be the right fit, but they're going to refer somebody else if they were truly helped. Yeah. And so I always, even my days of PR, working with a lot of reporters and news directors around the country, I always made it clear. I said, I don't know everything, but I know who does. And so they would call me for everything. Sometimes yeah. I had a client, sometimes I didn't, but we became a trusted partner. Business owners and entrepreneurs always say, for us, the most important thing is the relationship. It's ironic that customers rarely say that. Yeah. Right? We, for us, the importance is the relationship. The customer just wants a problem solved. Now, a relationship may be the end result of the work that you do, but yeah. only if you are of service. Yeah. And to be of service profitably that's the American dream. Yeah. And, and guess what? And if you're not profitable, you probably can't be of service long term. So it's important right. that you do it profitably. It's, it's interesting that point you make about the relationships. You know, it's, it's that old joke of, look, if you needed a friend, you'd get a puppy or in your case, a kitten. Right. right. So I'm surprised the kitten has not made an appearance. Following on this. He's locked upstairs because okay. he's very, he's very vocal like dad. <laughs> but, but so, so this, this notion of, of making sure that we're focused on the right things with the, with those with those customers. It's not about the relationship because they don't need another friend. But if you're someone they can rely on to either deliver or find yeah. them the right outcome, the best outcome. Guess what? You become like a friend to them because man, anytime I have this stress, I can rely on them to solve this. And if I reach out to them to buy something that's not right for me. They're going to tell me, which means they're always my first phone call. And I you think that that's a mistake that people view. make. Yeah, you have to have a long view of the relationship. Now, if you are purely transactional and you're selling widgets and you might sell at one time, then you don't care about this. You want to be, then there are still strategies. You want to be remarkably efficient. 
and help people get what they want very, very quickly, right? That's what makes you preferable to some of the online things. But if it's a relational kind of a thing, you have to honestly be of service because you recognize, I was working with a, um, I work with a lot of different industries, financial services and hotel hospitality and dentistry is one of them. And I was talking to the guy, he says, you know, the, the lifetime value of a patient and their family in a general dentistry practice is six figures, six wow. figures. And so that one momentary decision, did I feel a connection? Um, were you flexible enough of, as a practice that there's an opportunity on a weekend morning or, or an evening because you're flexible? If you are able to say yes, because you are em- empathetic, you understand their struggles with ours, and you can make a minor accommodation, that could be worth millions to your practice. Sure. As opposed to, we're really good. Here's our diplomas on the wall. We are one of the top dentists and we're going to, we're going to give you great service. That's about you Um, being empathetic that, that customer centricity is being truly curious. And then you tailor what you have to meet their needs or not. The curiosity part is amazing. I want to touch, I want to touch on one thing in, in your morning huddle book, which is a lot, a lot of people listening, you're going to say, yeah, this is, this all good and well, I agree. But how do they create a consistent process, a system, so that they actually infuse this through the culture of their organization? So talk sure. a little bit about this concept of the morning huddle, because I think it's something that will resonate with our listeners. Yeah, you know, th- this actually came out of, of presenting and people saying, what's next? How do I keep the conversation going? And so I spent a year writing and recording videos every week, not motivational, but real conversation starters and saying that it's great customer experience is not a book one time. It's not a presentation. It's an ongoing filter in your mind and that of your team with every transaction, every interaction every day. And so that turned into a book, which is called The Morning Huddle, Powerful Customer Experience Conversations to Wake You Up and Shake You Up and Win More Business. And the point is to get your team talking. Everybody's got to understand it. And so what I did in the book and what I do in my video series as well is ask some profound questions like, how often are you throwing your coworkers under the bus to look good to a client or a customer, right? What are the things that, that we can, what are the things that, that are frustrating to them, but work really well for us? And how do we know, right? What's your internal process for somebody to complain? I love that line says, if you make it difficult to complain, then your customers will complain to others or (laughs) online or to your competitors, right? I think one of the most mind-boggling things for me is organizations that make it very, very difficult to talk to a person. I understand staffing. It's not what I'm talking about. It's that you you go to a website, right? And everybody who's listening or watching this, you go to a website, you got a question, just a simple question. There is no freaking phone number. There's no phone number anywhere on the site. They made a conscious decision. We will not let our customers call us, those pesky customers, right? Because that takes us off off task. And so what the morning huddle is, is, is an idea that no matter what the size of your organization, if you get together once a week, maybe it's before or after your regular staff meeting for 20 minutes, here's a subject. Here's, here's why you do it. Here's why we hate it as customers. And here's a different approach. And it creates that conversation. Um, then everybody's on the same page because it's remarkable, the organizations I work with, how little information goes from the front line to the uh, the top of the ivory tower. How often we say no to things that nobody knows. Oh, yeah, we don't do that. 
right? Are we documenting? So the morning huddle is about sparking a real conversation every week so we can come to a measure of consensus. Here's who we are. Here's what we believe. And here's how we're going to solve those problems so that we're not in a crisis when something happens. We've already discussed it before that. So it's been, it's been a real journey of, 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 of love for me to help spark those great conversations with organizations. And, and the one, the one thing that, that I noticed that I, I really loved is that you said that oftentimes the best insights and answers come from your employees. Just no one oh, thought yeah. to ask the right questions. It's interesting. I, I spent, I, I served a couple of, I call them sentences. Some people call them terms as president of a country club. And at one point we didn't have a general manager, I had recently sold my business. I was the acting general manager while we were searching for somebody. And I went to our, um, to our restaurant staff and pulled together a meeting. I said, well, we're going to work on improving the experience for members. And everyone kind of had their arms folded like, okay, what is it? And I said, so can, can you guys come up with what are five things that we could do that would create a better experience for members? And like put people into groups, they came up and like kind of crowdsourced it, came up with Best these ideas. Answers are in the room. And I said, I said, okay, which two would make the biggest difference of those? And you guys get to vote. We're gonna vote on these two. Okay. And how would we measure those? And they they came up with it. Okay, that's what we're gonna do for the next two weeks. And people were like, oh my God, everything's amazing. It's so much better. What did you tell them? I said, I didn't tell them anything. I just asked them what would be better and then just gave them a framework so they could implement it. And there you to go. me, it's almost like this morning huddle creates that discipline week after week with different topics that'll, that'll move the needle. So I, I love we, that we, part. We call that, we call that crowdsourcing your own company for yeah. the best ideas. And I have a lot of exercise. That's what I do. But the most profound question I've asked in 20 plus years as a speaker, as a, as a, a strategic trainer within organizations is this question to internal audiences. What do your customers wish you would provide or offer that you don't now? What would they be willing to pay for that you don't currently offer? I did that in an organization in California, 250 people in the audience. And in six minutes, we crowdsourced 1,200 ideas. Wow. Everybody came up with five. And of course, two thirds of those were just duplicates. Sure. We pulled out the flip chart. We came up with 40, 40, 40 yep. game-changing ideas for their industry. It's a company you would recognize. I can't say their name. And they decided which 10, like yours, which 10 can we implement in the in the first year? What would it take? By the way, what would it mean to our customers? By the way, is it that the company name is private or that it's too hard to pronounce? Anyhow, well. <laughs> is I just, that it's, I just, it's, it's well known. And two of the things that came out of that meeting, you would know. I'm sure. But I can't, but I can't say it. But what they did was they said, what, what could we offer that no one else does that we think our customers want now because it's been requested or others? Yeah. So it's, it's transformational. I love leading those exercises as you do as well. And some of the best answers are the people who do this every day. That's great. Hey, hey, David, right David, what's, what's, what's the best way for people to connect with you to learn more about what you're doing? Cause I'm sure just like me, people are listening saying, okay, I, I got to follow David more. I got to hear what he's up to. I what's the best it. way? They can just look me up. It's David Avrin, A-V-R-I-N. So it's David Avrin, davidavrin.com. You can search it online and on Amazon, the books. On Instagram, it's the real David Avrin, but that's a whole other catfish for another day. But you can <laughs> learn about my, my speaking and consulting and all my books, as I said, are, are on Amazon. Fantastic. David, absolute pleasure. Thanks for coming on. You I, as well, I know my that friend. I learned some new things. I'm sure other people did too. So thanks for your generosity. Thank you, friend. <laughs>